This podcast is brought to you by the Nuclear Energy Institute. It powers our cities. It boosts our economy. It creates jobs. It even powers space travel. It's nuclear energy, and it does so much more than you think. Discover all nuclear is doing at discovernuclear.com backslash CQ. From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is the Big Story Podcast, your nonpartisan news source for how Congress and the federal government shape the real world. Joining me today is Nathan Gonzalez, our senior elections analyst, and Bridget Bowman, one of our senior political reporters. And we're going to talk about the retirements that we're seeing in Congress. It got off to sort of a slow start, and it's, we, we think that we may be seeing a, a bit of a trend. Nathan, Bridget, thanks for joining us. Thank yeah. Thanks for having me. I always wonder, I, I always forget that you wear a tuxedo for these. I think it's unnecessarily formal. But. Well, you know, but it's not the frills. I mean, like, if, if I really wanted to throw you, I'd, I'd, I'd wear the frills, you know, the, the, like the sort of the 1970s John Travolta for frills. But, I mean, this is like a fairly staid tuxedo, right? I, I couldn't handle anything more. Okay. <laughs> so, about these retirements, um, both of you have been following the you know the, the, like we've been on kind of retirement watch for a while and we because we saw f- so few people announce at the, the what we think of as the normal sort of traditional times when we when we see a lot and then all of a sudden the, the it, it seems that after labor day we got a little bit of a pickup um let, let, let's talk about some of the most high profile uh retirements you've, we've seen bridget and then nathan we're going to talk about some of the consequences of that and like where these races stand as we head into the 2018 midterm elections so bridget just this week uh we had we had a couple you know the retirement we have a retirement announcement and also retirement watch those coupled with some high profile ones last week like let's talk about the most uh, the, the biggest names sure so the ones that are especially interesting are those more moderate republicans uh who are deciding to leave uh, Charlie Dent, a congressman from Pennsylvania, who's a leader of the moderate Tuesday group in the House, that was a big name to announce that he wasn't going to seek re-election. So that was a surprise to some people, though he had been thinking about it for a while. Uh, we also saw this week Dave Trott from Michigan, another Republican retiring. Uh, Dave Reichert from Washington also announced his retirement last week. Again, three districts that are more Republican, but without them as incumbents running again, that makes them more competitive. Yeah, we actually have a little bit of uh, of a clip for, of of Congressman Dent talking to the Morning Call, uh, Allentown, his, his hometown newspaper, and, and what he said when he announced that he was retiring. But how much did the the current political environment in Washington? It's, it's a factor, uh, to be sure. I mean, there, this this decision was driven by uh, personal matters. Just you know, family. We talked about it for some time. Thought it's I'm young, I'm healthy, I'm in good shape. I want to be clear about that. There's no health issue here. I'm in good shape. I'm looking forward to the future. I want to be part of the discussion going forward. I, want to, I think we need to bring a, a stronger voice to the sensible center of not only of our party, but of the country. Uh, you know, both political parties are in a pretty bad place right now, and I want to be part of that conversation, but maybe from a different, from a, from a different seat. Maybe from the outside rather than from the inside. So it almost seems like, uh, I mean, we've got a couple things going on. Members always say that it's it's a personal decision, not a political decision, uh, Nathan. But uh, what uh, what was more political? I can I can uh, totally uh, having covered Congress for a couple of decades now. It seems uh, I can understand that Congress is not as much fun anymore for people uh, like Charlie Dent, who sort of has a different, you know, I mean, he he's a he likes to get along with everybody, Democrats, Republicans. 
uh, House members, senators, and so forth. But what are some of the political things that at work here in Charlie Dent's district in I, Pennsylvania? I, I always wonder if there was a was there a time in Congress when it was like vacation where people just came or <laughs> lounging around on beach chairs and it was fun. But anyway, one of the one of my frustrations with this with the retirement talk and the narrative that has built over the last couple of weeks is that we, there's this temptation to boil it down to one thing. And I think we have to remember that these are people. They're making a huge professional decision. If, if any of us were thinking about changing jobs, it wouldn't likely be based on one factor. It would be based on family, commute, prof- you know, uh, upward mobility, all of these things. And, and sure, maybe one, uh, one factor is above another. But I think we, in some ways, it's, be careful to take politicians at their word. But sometimes these are multiple, multi-factor decisions going into it. Now, with Dent specifically, uh, his district, by the numbers, is competitive. Uh, Trump won it, though. It was one of those areas that helped uh, Donald Trump win statewide in Pennsylvania. But because Charlie Dent is such a a figure in his district, Democrats really didn't have a shot at winning it. Now that it's open, uh, we didn't put it into toss-up. I think Republicans still have an advantage, but it's an opportunity. It broadens the playing field for Democrats, and it gives them maybe one less seat that they have to defeat a well-established, well-liked incumbent in order to get to the majority. Like what Nathan was just saying about, you know, that people make these decisions on a, based on a variety of reasons. Another name uh, that somebody who had announced earlier this year, uh, Ileana Rosletinen, who is, is down in Miami, uh, Miami area. She's a, a moderate Republican by almost any measure. She's sort of a hardliner when it comes to defense issues, particularly with Cuba and Israel. She was the House Foreign Relations uh, Committee chairwoman. Uh, but she was a moderate, particularly on on uh, social issues, and and she's but she's like kind of done. I mean, I interviewed her uh, for as part of a, a roll call video series that we're doing last week, and she she seemed very chipper and very happy, and she was also ready for other people in the in the the Florida Republican Party to sort of you know take up the mantle. I mean, are you seeing some of that in your your reporting? People that are just like, hey, I'm like 70 years old here, <laughs> like I'm ready to I'm ready to like you know spend a little really spend a little bit more time with my family it's, it's always debatable whether somebody when they're 30 is, is like means it but if they're if they have grandkids why not yeah i think so i think like nathan made a really good point when I, there are a variety of reasons also you have to look at people who are committee chairs in the house are they term limited are they going to lose power and don't really feel like sticking around um if there's like a scandal or something that could cause someone to retire um so Yeah, I think there are obviously a variety of reasons. It's interesting because Democrats, uh, these Republican retirements, try and say, like, Republicans don't want to defend Trump, and that's why they're retiring. But it is important to keep in mind there are a variety of reasons, too. Now, Nathan, you know, in an earlier time, we saw three wave elections in a row in 2006, 2008, and 2010, two that went the Democrats' way, one that went the Republicans' way in 2010. Uh, and then in, in, in 2012 and 2014 and 2016, you know, we saw these almost like kind of uh, three yards in a cloud of dust kind of elections at the presidential level at the and, you know, at the House and Senate level. We didn't we haven't seen a lot of change. Uh, what are what are what could we what could we sort of how could we prepare ourselves for 2018? Because we you know, we're almost due for a wave election, but we're not seeing the numbers at this point, are we? We're going to actually set up evacuation zones uh, for depending <laughs> for on what the midterm climate is like. Uh, I think the best thing to do right now, uh, w- what we're doing is trying to look at these Democratic challengers. I mean, there are thousands of Democratic candidates uh, running 
uh, how strong are they? What kind of campaigns are they putting together? Uh, what kind of money are they putting together? And are they going to put themselves in, in place to take advantage if voters are looking for an alternative? Uh, continue to look for more retirements. Historically, I try to get out in front of this story. Historically, there are uh, 22 House retirements every cycle going back 40 years. We're at eight right now. So I feel pretty confident that there's going to be more. And so where who, who retires and where are they retiring from and what kind of district are they leaving behind? That'll give Democrats opportunities. And then there's the one of the one of the biggest uh, factors is what does the national climate look like? Uh, you know, it's easy to look at the president's job rating, but one of the biggest questions in my mind is uh, what is the level of connection between, in voters' minds, between President Trump and Republican candidates, and do they hold Republicans responsible for what President Trump is doing and saying? Our, our old colleague, Stu Rothenberg, uh, talked a lot about the economy, you know, in his times when he was analyzing these races in, inside and out. Just got a big report from the Census Bureau that wages are up, that they're at an all-time high for the middle class. The economy is beginning to recover from the Great Recession. Uh, if the economy continues to um, continues to improve and we continue to see people feeling more confident about, like, their ability to buy a house, buy a car, send their kids to college, all that kind of stuff, is will that lead – will that have an effect on the midterm, you think? Well, I, I think you, you hit on it there at the end. How do people feel about the economy is important. I know that the Democrats and the Obama administration were frustrated by they, they could spit out all sorts of numbers about the economy getting better, but people didn't feel it or believe it. That was the so, case, certainly the case in 2016. I mean, the economy was by all measures getting better, and yet we, you know, we almost had like this, you know, sort of upheaval, sort of election, at least at the presidential level. So, if let's say the voters are feeling better about their economic situation or their neighbor or their cousins finally getting a job, all of that. I think that leads more more likely a status quo election where voters are unlikely to throw out the people in office if they are fairly comfortable in their in their position. Now it's if they don't if they feel anxious or angry or upset, that's when they start looking for change and looking around and say who else can do a better job. And now more from our sponsor, the Nuclear Energy Institute. It powers our cities and towns across the country. It creates jobs. It adds billions to the economy. It even powers space travel. Life as we know it wouldn't be life as we know it without it. And it's called nuclear energy. Yes, nuclear energy. Every day, nuclear energy helps us to keep our country running and moving forward. Discover all the things nuclear is doing at discovernuclear.com backslash CQ. Nuclear. Power. The Extraordinary. Now, Bridget, let's pivot a little bit to the Senate side. Uh, earlier this week, we saw there were some rumblings that Bob Corker might want to uh, head, head back to Chattanooga uh, after, after a couple of terms that he was done. What's it like in the Senate right now? We, you know, we have 52 Republicans, 48 Democrats. The map is overwhelmingly friendly to, to the Republicans. We have a lot of Democrats who are up in, in states that Trump won. Uh, but we're seeing some instability in some seats on the Republican side, like like Corker's, where it, it, it might create some openings too. Who, what other races are you watching for to to see signs of like maybe things are are a little little less stable than we thought they were? Right. So I guess in terms of retirements too, the Senate is also interesting. I think Nathan, you wrote about this a little while ago that I think on average there are five retirements a cycle. And there's a, there's and at least one every cycle. And we don't have any right now. Right, which is kind of unique. So Corker's definitely one to watch because he seems genuinely just unsure which way he's going to go. 
Um, as you mentioned, the map is favored towards Republicans. Democrats are just defending a lot more seats. Um, and they would have to flip some solid Republican seats if they want to win the majority. Um, on the Corker side, the kind of interesting context is there is a Politico story about how former White House advisor Steve Bannon is going to look at supporting primary challengers for some of these Senate Republicans, and they named Corker as one of them. He was very critical of the president, saying that he wasn't competent and, and all of that. Um, so I think that will be an interesting, I think you saw Senate Republicans pushing back on that idea, saying like, we don't, I think it was Senator John Cornyn who said a circular firing squad is not helpful and we should really be focusing on Democrats here. I think in the Senate, part of the dynamic is you have a president and you have some of his key advisors or former advisors that are now outside that have not only no interest in building the Republican Party, some of them actively want to tear down the Republican Party. I think Steve Bannon, even before the 2016, wanted to tear down the Republican Party and he's bringing his uh, greater profile now. Uh, he, he's continuing that that mission. And it's incredibly frustrating for Republicans in town because they're saying, OK, the president is attacking the two most vulnerable Republican senators. Meanwhile, he is inviting three of the most vulnerable Democratic senators over for dinner and having and taking his their, his picture <laughs> with them. And they're just going to go back to their states. Joe and Donnelly, say, Joe Manchin and Heidi Heitkamp. Heidi, and he, they're yeah. just going to take that, you know, all those clips and those photos and go back and say, look to their votes. I, I know who you voted for. I'm open minded. And so it's it's the tension is is high and only going to get worse, I think. So regarding this idea of like a status quo election, um, I mean, the the Senate is a much more sort of fluid place in in terms of the majority. I mean, in, in, in terms of like 20th century and 21st century history, we've we've only seen. Like the, the the Senate is is more likely, you know, on on a regular basis to flip control in the in the majority. Uh, now it seems like the the House, though, <laughs> I mean, we're we're still a couple of uh, cycles away from redistricting, which who knows what will happen with that? You know, what states will gain, um, and and how will they will gain those seats? But um, is the House are we in, entering a relatively more unstable situation in the House, Nathan? Because those those voters, I mean, are so many members of the House are new, and voters don't know them as well as they know, say, a statewide office holder like a senator. Right. I think the House is more susceptible to waves because it's harder to carve out your own independent image as a member. Uh, campaigns, it's harder to cut through uh, what's happening at the top of the ballot or just what's happening in the news. And so it's more susceptible to a wave. In the Senate, it, 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 uh, the results vary so widely depending on what class is up, what are the states that are in up every two years, and what is the cycle. I mean, this 2018 cycle of senators, I would uh, Democrats specifically, I would argue, are very fortunate. Some of them were elected in 2006, a great Democratic year against President Bush and Republicans, re-elected in 2012 when Obama was re-elected. You know, and they've had some very fortunate. I mean, John Tester Montana has never received over fifty percent of the vote. In oh, yeah, he's like stuck at forty-eight percent. So, right? but know. it's it's been enough. I mean, a win a win's right. a win. But at some point, I guess the, the Senate it, it just depends on um, the cycle and the the class that's up. So, Bridget, who are you looking at uh, in in terms of your retirement watch? You uh, you mentioned uh, that you know we Nathan's numbers of twenty two average of twenty two House members retire and five senators retire. We talked about Corker. Who else are you looking at in the Senate and House for uh, a possible retirement? What's the buzz there? Um, in the Senate, definitely watching some of the more senior members. Uh, Senator Orrin Hatch is one that has garnered a lot of attention because Mitt Romney has. Uh, reportedly expressed interest in running if Senator Hatch retires, mm-hmm. uh, he, but he 
has so far been signaling that he's running for re-election. And Hatch told Utah voters six years, well, five, right. six years ago that he wasn't going to run again. Right. right. No, that's a that's a good point. So that's been kind of fueling all of this, too. Uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein of California is also one of the more senior senators, also up in 2018. So she's one to watch. Um, on the House side, definitely always keeping an eye on, again, the more senior members. Uh, the DCCC actually has a, their own re- retirement watch list, though some of the members on it have been pushing back. Like they added uh, Pete Sessions from Texas, who's head of the Rules Committee. And he tweeted after he was added, like, no way, like that's totally false. And come, as we say in Texas, like come and take it or kind of bring it on. Type come of hell tweet. or high water to borrow a film title from Texas. Are we allowed to say yeah. high water in reference? I think so. <laughs> Too soon. Too soon. Oh. Um, um, he's from Dallas, so they're unaffected. <laughs> So, yeah, I think some of those those members, too, and also just keeping an eye on some of the more moderate members as mm-hmm. well. All right. Uh, in a couple of years, I looked at, I think Charlie Dent's a good example of the type of member that we might, it might be hard to identify, meaning someone who is uh, between the age of 58 and 62, mm-hmm. you know, they've been around six to 10 terms, uh, you know, and they but they still have the opportunity to go make money on K Street or doing something else before they actually get to a more normal retirement age. And so those, you know, be be on the watch for those members as well. It's been really good talking about house retirements. We're going to look uh, in a couple of weeks at the other side of it. Uh, Nathan, you mentioned that uh, the temptation to go make money on K Street is a, is a big one for members, particularly as they have some working years left. We're going to talk with uh, CQ Roll Call's Kate Ackley, who covers the lobbying realm. And we're going to bring a special guest, a K Street headhunter, who will talk about uh, what we can, what people look for uh, in, in firms and, and in members and, and what makes an attractive prospective employee as they leave Congress. So please uh, mark that on your calendars in two weeks, and uh, we'll explore another aspect of retiring from Congress. Nathan, Bridget, thanks so much for joining us on the Big Story Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Jason Dick. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One.